and welcome to Moonwise, a podcast celebrating seasons, cycles, and rites of passage. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and today I speak with Megan DeBoer about financial wellness and how we can reimagine our relationship with wealth and money. We talk about how money is often linked with self-worth and intergenerational trauma, and why women in particular often struggle with empowerment around wealth. She shares her unique approach of guiding folks into a healthy emotional relationship with money through curiosity, compassion, and intention. Before we begin, I want to make sure you know that I've launched a weekly magazine dedicated to inspiration and seasonal wisdom, including astrology and recommendations for events, books, and other things I think you'll love. You can sign up to get issues delivered straight to your inbox at moonwise.co magazine. Megan DeBoer, founder of Tended Wealth, is a wealth doula in every sense of the term. She defines wealth as a multifaceted state of abundance in relationships, health, community, environment, and of course, finances. Megan is a skillful tender of the relationship between inner shifts and outer results, using money as an entry point into full spectrum wealth and reinfusing the word with its etymology of well being. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me and and having me here. I'm really excited to talk with you today because a lot of people, especially online, talk about wealth and abundance and manifestation. But what I really love about your work is that it feels grounded. It feels inward focused, and dare I say, it even feels like a sacred approach to finances, which feels very real and approachable also. I would love to start with asking you how you define wealth. Mm. Well, that's a beautiful introduction and way to begin this conversation because uh, I do feel like I orient differently within my within my field. There's a lot of conversation online and there has been for the past, I don't know, I don't even want to put a date on it, but for a long time around manifestation and abundance and my orientation, it will so there's there's that and then there's of course the financial industry and our culture and what wealth it how wealth is portrayed in our culture. And those two feel as though they are, they're not different from the work that I do necessarily, but it can lead people into really focusing on wealth in a way that um, is very limited in my opinion, because I see wealth as a much deeper, much broader way of experiencing life. And so money, of course, touches every aspect of our life or most aspects of our life in some way. And so it becomes a really potent intersection of exploring our lives through this lens of money. But wealth, from my perspective, is about our relationship with ourselves, you know, whether that is a spiritual relationship, our soulful relationship, uh, our relationship with our loved ones, our relationship with the natural world. Um, and I really see 
all layers of that wealth being um, a part of a healthy ecosystem, you know, in our bodies, in our communities, in our homes, and in the world at large, and that we can't, uh, we, we can't pull one part and just focus on it, you know, just having material financial wealth and abundance is not, is not a full expression in, from my perspective of wealth. And, um, the etymology of wealth is actually well-being. And I just find that to be such a beautiful, I mean, it's, it's really, I, I came to that understanding after I named my business, but when I, when I named my business Tended Wealth, it was really thinking about taking care of all of the aspects of our lives um, through, again, through this lens of money, um, because it touches, <laughs> for better or worse, it touches all aspects of our life. Um, so I just, I just love holding a much broader perspective and really finding the, the beauty and simplicity that we can experience abundance in its varied forms, you know, even if that's just going out into, um, you know, looking at the sky or into our garden or looking into our children's faces, you know, that is also an experience of wealth. If we can see it that way, and we've just been conditioned to see wealth in our culture as the as only the financial and of course that's such an important piece in our in all of our lives um, and yet just focusing on that to me is very limited you say cultivating a wealthy life in its broadest expression is your birthright it's not a domain limited to social media influencers or those climbing the corporate ladder so i find this really important point. And what really intrigues me is this idea of sort of like the external signals of wealth versus the internal. Um, and I think that that's a distinction that you make a lot in your work. And I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that. We are shown what wealth should look like. And very often in this consumer culture, it holds status symbols, and those look very different in different um, subcultures, what those status symbols are. But there is sort of a gravitational pull to adopting what those symbols are and, um, and holding them in the external before actually questioning whether that's what we genuinely and authentically want what is truly aligned for us personally. So there's a lot of adoption of those um, markers of wealth, and, and yet they, in my work with clients, often it's like there's this um, external pressure to own a home or have a certain car or wear certain clothes or buy certain groceries. You know, there is, there is that external pressure and if we aren't grounded and centered and inquiring internally about what we actually want, what our truth actually is, we, we may be just adopting someone else's and the culture's uh, expectation of what wealth is for us. And so it's really it really requires 
the inward gaze, the, the questioning, and the risk of not adhering to what your peers <laughs> may value. Um, but again, it's like that internal reflection and it goes both ways. So it's, it can be that, you know, your subculture really values certain lifestyle, um, whether that's travel or cars or clothing or house or neighborhood, college, whatever that may be. Um, or your subculture may value not having any material possessions. And so, but your truth is that you really love beautiful things. So it's really an interesting, it, it's just so important. It's, it's where this, um, you know, staying true to yourself while belonging within a culture again, subculture over culture, um, really asking what your own truth is and aligning to that. And that, that to me, that's really um, incredibly inspiring work that I do with my clients to really suss out what, what is it, you know, is this desire for a house really your desire <laughs> or not? <laughs> And a lot of the time, it's not their genuine desire. They want to do other things. The house is just because it's on the list. It's that external expectation of what someone thinks they should be doing at this particular moment in their lives. Mm, I love that. And I can think of an example in my own life where in uh, my friend group, one of my dear friends really wanted to live in a tiny house and she made that dream happen. It was so beautiful and it was so right for her. But for me, I was like, you know what? In Where I'm at in my life right now, I actually need to feel comfortable to expand. Yes. Like I actually need space and feel like I'm allowed to take up space. And, you know, there's no real right or wrong. And my choice is, well, I want to rent and I want to have more space and just feel like that's okay. <laughs> oh, that's so, that's such a beautiful example. That's exactly, it's exactly it. And it's like really listening to that truth and honoring that truth, whatever that truth looks like and finding a way for money to support and sustain that. Mm. That's the, that's the secret. And that's where um, money becomes this potent energetic force in our lives because it is, it, it does make things possible and for better or worse, <laughs> you know, it's a reality that we have to contend with and using it in that way, earning it, receiving it, and then consciously choosing to have it be the creative, a creative force in our lives is a really powerful way to be with money, be in relationship with money from my perspective. Yeah. When I think about just the name of your business, tending, tended wealth, it's, it's an unusual word to use in our culture with money. I feel like either we grow up thinking, you know, I don't want to be greedy and money is the root of all evil and all these kind of programs that we have. And yet I hear you use the word money and compassion in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like 
where does that come from in you? And, and yeah, how did you develop that insight about like really actually caring for money and not just rejecting it or stacking it up in this sort of, yeah, heartless way? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have my own relationship with money that I've been working through for my whole life. And I am someone who straddled, um, in a variety of ways, sort of between a few different worlds, you know, um, I grew up in a in a very small town. A lot of artists. There was a lot of rejection of wealth, and yet I there there is wealth within my extended family, and so I straddled a couple of subcultures there and. There was a lot of confusion for me, a lot of rejection, a lot of a lot of fear around what that what it means to have wealth, and I've been navigating my own understanding of it being okay to make money. That's been the biggest um, part of my personal journey is it being okay to ask you know to to receive to be paid to be paid at all, to be paid well. Um, that has been the central part of my story. So I, again, I, we all come from our own family history, you know, lived experience um, in our own personal relationships with money. So my relationship with earning and under-earning specifically has been the primary part of my path. I came to this work through actually uh, bookkeeping for many small business owners. And I started to witness, this was before I was really conscious of my own patterns with money, but I was witnessing many, you know, like almost 30 clients. I was witnessing their relationships with money and their discomfort. It was like complete avoidance, rejection, but then also simultaneous obsession fantasy about money. So it was like a very disorganized, ungrounded, um, sort of ping pong kind of a relationship. And it just made me really curious, like what, what is actually happening to create this? Even if there are, like I could see very strategic solutions to what their problems were, but no matter how much I <laughs> maybe shared and maybe they didn't really want to hear, but I would share suggestions and month over month over month, I would be delivering the same kind of reports with the same, you know, that the same result was still showing up on their balance sheets. And I just was genuinely curious and wanted to understand what the patterns were. And that curiosity led me to study with my mentor, Karen McCall at the Financial Recovery Institute and begin doing this work. And in that process, you know, it was like, of course, we can see something in someone else before we see it in ourselves. So in the process of me being trained and going through the process myself, I became very acutely aware of my own patterns with money and my own um, disordered relationship with money. And, and that led me on this path. Throughout that, you know, again, watching the avoidance, that pattern of avoidance that so many people share about money. Um, and I think it's partly because we don't talk about money in our culture. We don't learn 
actual skills about how to manage our money. So that avoidance becomes um, a way that we are distanced from our money and taking care of our money, tending to our money is the way back, is the way of taking care of ourselves through that medium. So really being um, thoughtful, mindful, understanding, even having the comfort of opening up your you know, online banking account, you know, which is very hard for some people. There is so much avoidance that they won't even open up their um, bank statements or credit card statements. And they just hope for the best. And maybe they keep hundreds of thousands of dollars in their checking account to protect them from that, that allows that avoidance, or there are other patterns going on. So, um, but to me, tending to your wealth is, is no different than taking care of your home, taking care of your body, taking care of your garden, taking care of your children, taking care of your loved ones. It's all, to me, it's the same. It's just a different form that we get to do that, that we get to practice that love and that reverence for our lives. Um, because when we, when you think about it, it's like the money that comes into your life through a paycheck, through your business, um, through a partner's salary, that is life force energy, just in a different form. And when we spend that and we're making conscious decisions, we are also supporting and sustaining someone else's life through that, supporting their life force energy. So to hold that compassion, to hold that reverence, to remember that that's what it is in those exchanges, to me is so important. And it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to be jaded and angry about all the systems of inequality, of inequity, of extreme, extreme inequity in the wealth distribution in our, in our country. And yet, we each engage with it every day. We can't not engage with it. So it becomes, to me, it's like a reclamation of what we can be in relationship with each other around, in exchange with each other around, and reinfuse it with something different that we haven't known before in this way. So that's, that's what I get very excited about. And, and I try to not lose sight of that myself in my own daily life. But I, of course, you know, I am irritated by some of the bills that I have to pay. <laughs> and, you know, we, we all are. Uh, so it's, I'm not trying to make it so rosy that it's, I'm aware of all of the issues. It's just that I believe there's, there's a way that we can bring back um, bring back a different experience. Each of us can, every day. That's so beautiful, and I just hear so much care and intention in the way that you speak about money, and it makes me think about maybe the way that we 
interact with food or even the feminine. It just feels like there's this source of nourishment. And yet we have sometimes like a twisted relationship. Like you said, it's kind of a rejection, but also like a fascination desire. (laughs) And if only we could become a little more conscious about the relationship, a lot more healthy interaction could happen, I think, (laughs) for everyone's benefit. Yeah. And and when you're talking as well, it sounds like also when you were looking at the patterns with these small businesses that you were working with, it, it feels like there's a really strong emotional component where even if you could present, okay, rationally, you should do this strategy rationally, you know, ask for a raise, whatever it is, save your money. You know, if it was so easy, we would all be able to do it, but it's, it's so emotional. And, and I wonder, is that tied to our survival instinct? Is this intergenerational trauma? Like, have you seen any particular patterns in that way? Oh, yes, yes. And that is the really the heart of the work that I do is, is the braiding of the emotional with the practical. So yes, <laughs> if it were, if, if we didn't have the emotional layers, it would be very easy to follow the very basic, because the principles of taking care of our money are pretty straightforward and they don't, I mean, there, there's more complexity, the more complex your situation is, but for the most part, it's pretty straightforward, you know, save, save for your future, Um, spend less than you make, you know, like there, there are some very basic things that doesn't mean that it's easy. And the emotional layers are significant patterns around worthiness um, come up around under earning. Um, There can be really significant layers that come up for people around transcending a threshold of the culture that they have come from. So their their family culture, their, again, a a subculture, where if they begin making more money than other people in their their world, um, that threatens them to no longer belong, or that's, that's the narrative that is very strong for people. I work with a lot of people who are at that threshold where they are ready to cross a threshold or they're, they're anticipating or fearful of crossing a threshold into new territory. That can also be someone who maybe was born into wealth or has been in that culture and wants a much simpler life. And there's a lot of judgment, you know, reverse kind of judgment than we typically think of. So it is, so belonging becomes a really significant piece. So worthiness, belonging, it's like a lot of our core wounds show up in these ways. And money is just one of the many portals that we have to start any kind of healing. The layers and layers and layers (laughs) that tend to emerge and what can be so, what's so fascinating to me and why I just love this work so much is that money becomes this really fascinating place to do our work. And it's like when we are aware of a pattern, it most of the time shows up somewhere in our money. So money becomes this really potent portal (laughs) to pretty significant healing if we're willing 
if we're willing to go there. And it can be light. It can be very deep. I really believe that. I can imagine, yeah, our trauma, our shadow all comes out in the way that we interact with money as an energy, as a resource, as something that nurtures us. Yeah. And one other one that, I mean, there, there are so many, but I just, there was one more that I wanted to touch on, which is um, the rejection of money, like not being comfortable with it. A pattern that I often see is like the need to give it away or get rid of it and the inability to hold it. And to really allow it to be in our lives too. So that, that pattern of um, overgiving can really uh, can show up very significantly. I laugh because I totally understand that. I've worked so hard to be okay with there being money in my bank account. Because I'm just so, I'm just so programmed to like it comes in, it goes out. Yes. We don't want to hold anything. Yes. And I'm like, why? Why is that? So I had to work so hard to be like, okay, it's in there and it's staying in there and it is yes. okay. Yes, and and it's amazing how that response is so. Uh, and this is the thing. Like this is where the emotional. I also think it's it's emotional. It's also physiological. It's like it, our bodies like. When, when we're confronted with a different state, it's hard to tolerate and acclimate to that new state. So if you're used to having money come in and go out really quickly, tolerating having money stay there is, um, is also a body practice, like just tolerating what it feels like to be in that new space. And I've worked with people who... Um, Maybe they had savings, but keeping even like a balance of $150 in their checking account was like where our work centered for a little while because that was really uncomfortable. It was like they felt like there was something wrong, that they were doing something bad by having enough money. And that is a trauma response to often to circumstances that they have um, experienced in their past. So yeah, it's, it's, this, is, this is where it's so beautiful to talk about it because it's so common and yet we don't talk about it. And these patterns um, that don't make logical sense on paper make perfect emotional or contextual sense when we understand it. And that's um, part of my role is to be witness to and facilitate that awareness that comes from speaking to those patterns, seeing those patterns that we're, that we are unconsciously perpetuating, Yeah. even if we want our situation to change. <laughs> and that's the frustrating thing about being a human. <laughs> Yeah, it feels really deep. It feels like going into the subconscious a bit, bringing things out of the shadow and really looking at it in the light and saying, okay, what is really going on here? Exactly. And and the numbers don't lie. Like the numbers, the numbers, unfortunately, just have to hold it right in our face. It's not. <laughs> and that's why we often avoid it is because we are scared of looking in that shadow, looking at the truth. And as you speak, I wonder, do you see particular patterns among women, especially when you talk about under-earning, it does make me think about women in the workplace, our history in Western culture with 
having and being able to be financially empowered, which is a very new and rare, rare thing actually in history. Um, so yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Yes. Well, it, it is. And I just always, whenever I think about, I think it was the year I was born, 1975, or maybe it was 74, is when women were able to get a credit card. And there was protection around being pregnant and not getting fired in the workplace. So it's it's so recent. I mean, I'm 48 now, but it's so recent that women have been, even in the realm of being able to attain wealth. And when I say credit cards, it's like that means uh, mortgages as well and building wealth through those different channels outside of a man, you know, having a husband or a father or a brother co-sign alone. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's incredible to think about how recent that was. So that becomes part of the context that we're all navigating working our working our way out of that pattern um, and then I think women in this culture and many many cultures around the world have been in caregiving roles and those roles have not been valued so there is a devaluation on caregiving so much so that you know Teachers' salaries are still as low as they are because it was based on being able to pay an unmarried woman to educate children in the beginning. They didn't have to pay them very much. And that salary scale has historically continued. We undervalue what that role is. Um, being a mother, you know, if you are the primary caregiver in your family, you may not even receive the social security benefits that you were working up toward, you know, if if you stay home for um, the duration of your children's lives. So the system itself is not supportive of women, generally speaking. And then there is the internalized narrative of what that is, you know, what I'm doing is not valuable. So we have healers, caregivers, um, any number of professions. And, and that's just like because that's the, what tends to happen. Or the, the, it's, it's like we've internalized this script that our work is not valuable. Therefore, no matter what the career is that you go into, there is that internalized narrative, even if it's really, really deep, deep, deep down, even if you've overcome tremendous obstacles, the wage gap is um, is there because culturally our work is not valued. <laughs> we are not valued. So what f- is fascinating is that there is also a wage gap in self-employment, which to me is a pretty powerful I mean, it's it's obvious in so many ways. And to me, that is just so telling. When we, as a self-employed person, determine our own salary, our own rates, that there is also a wage gap there from peer to peer, you know, like a, a male counterpart to a female counterpart. And that's just statistically looking at it because there isn't the statistics for non-binary, you know, like uh, 
but there is a wage gap there in self-employment. And to me, that just is an indication that we have, we have work to do. We have work to do. Uh, and that's really such a big part of my work with people is really helping to dismantle that internalized narrative of the devaluation of our work. And that can show up, I'll, I'll just stay with self-employment for a minute, that can show up in you know, our rates not being adequate to cover our expenses, our, our living needs, and our, um, you know, from taxes to savings to just our basic needs being met, to not billing all of our hours for our work. And this was a big pattern that I had, you know, of working and working and working and then not including all of those hours on my invoices, omitting time, my time, not valuing my time. All of it is to me an indication of how challenged we are as women in this culture to be valued and value ourselves. It's big work. And it feels like generational work. And what is also fascinating to me is that I work with women who are in their 70s and I work with women who are in their early 30s. And to witness the, um, and, and all, all within that range as well, and just how much has shifted in our culture, how much is, has changed in the internalized narrative of what what the younger generations expect versus what the older generations are contending with. There has been a lot of shifting already underway, but this, to me, I mean, I, I, I hope that my daughters are in a different position than, um, than we are, but I imagine it's going to take even longer for it to really work its way out of all of our systems, literal systems and our personal systems, our cultural systems, not being as challenged with having wealth, um, attaining wealth, allowing wealth (laughs) into our lives. And when I say that, I mean actual financial wealth. This is so deep because even as you're speaking, I remember in my 20s working in fancy nonprofits in the San Francisco Bay Area and always having this sort of feeling in the back of my mind that I was just lucky to be there, especially as a woman, that I should just be grateful to have this, this good job and that I would never, that I always would need to prove that I deserve to be there. And God forbid, I would never think to ask for a raise or, or maybe fewer hours and work would just get piled and piled on me. And I would just power through like a little superwoman. (laughs) And the same thing being self-employed too, then where, like you said, not valuing my own time. And I had to really learn that, especially as a mother. And I think some of us who do become mothers, we do then have to reconfigure that for ourselves because our time is a little bit more focused and concentrated. It's like, okay, we, we have to start to value our time because otherwise we can't get stuff done. So we have to really fight for it a little bit. And yeah, I can just see in so many phases of life where that the internalized conversation really can, can hinder us, but it's such an opportunity, like you said, for growth and true empowerment too. Exactly. True empowerment. And yeah, the resolution that, that, that is there, you know, when, when we 
see, uh, understand the context, you know, like you in that, um, in those nonprofit jobs and feeling so grateful and also like, I'm, I'm lucky to be here. How could I possibly ask for or want for more, you know, just the seat at the table. And again, that historically is very new as well, (laughs) you know, relatively speaking, if we pull the lens back, a seat at the table is like, that was hard one getting that. So understanding the broader context and then understanding our own, uh, like where we are now ready to outgrow some of those earlier, uh, internalized messages and really reclaim and own for ourselves what that value is. My time is valuable. My skills are valuable. And, you know, depending again, like if you're in that state of not being able to meet your needs, advocating on your behalf to have those needs met through a raise, through an increased rate, because you are worthy of having, being supported of sustaining your life. So I'm curious what a healthy emotional relationship with money looks like in your experience. Mm, That's a great question. I really think it's about finding this place of grounded neutrality with money, actually, where it's not, um, where we're not in that state of obsessing, of fantasizing, Um, but we're in a more trusting relationship that this is one element of our lives that is supporting us and sustaining us, that we are capable of earning, receiving, allowing the money to be there, um, spending it consciously and intentionally, and saving it wisely, you know, without a lot of drama. Um, So that neutrality, that grounded, trusting neutrality is really the indication. And it doesn't mean you have to, that you're going to be there all the time. It just means once you have known that state, there may be things that happen that take you out of that state, but there's a, a center point that you return to that you can anchor yourself in. I was lucky enough to participate in one of your online workshops. And what really struck me is one of the exercises you did with us to really connect with our why, like why would we want to have a healthier relationship with money? And for me, I really got to connect with this idea of the reason that I want to earn and, and have this abundance of resources is so that my daughter can see me as an empowered woman who is able to actualize herself in the world. And I had really not connected with that idea before doing this sort of visualization with you. And it's really helped me in making my day-to-day choices because it's not Oh, I, you know, I need this money. I want it. I'm, you know, fantasizing about it. It's really a a really deep grounded why of, I want this bank account to start filling with money from my, you know, well-earned work 
so that she has a great role model to look up to, that she sees her mother as a leader and who is confident. And that is such a better motivation for me than anything else. And it's really, it's a real thing that I can hold on to. And it, it does change my behavior, which is amazing. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And for you to orient to that, to her, you know, it's like, it's that beautiful, simultaneous healing for yourself and for her, for the line that came before you, the line that will come after you, you know, her children, that energetic shift of like, I'm reclaiming this. I'm reclaiming this on her behalf. It's time. And to have that clarity. And it's, she will be witnessing you. She'll also be feeling you being in a different relationship with money, being able to hold more money, being able to um, allow more money into your life, more money and more wealth into your life. And that's a very powerful gift to give to her because it isn't the rejection or the, I'll just take the scraps or I'll be in an unstable place. It is, I am, I am worthy. You are worthy of having enough to support and sustain this life. Yeah. And, and even goes so far as to think about, I would never want her to have to stay in a situation, whether a relationship, a job, a living situation, only because of the financial need, right? And it just makes me emotional thinking about it because it's like how women have not had freedom and choice, still don't have freedom and choice. And in this particular way, it is that reclamation of the power that was withheld from us for generations, generations and generations and generations, like as far back as we can look, there was, there was an exclusion, um, around money. There, there still is, it still, it still operates a little bit outside just in the financial industry and how many women are even in the financial industry how women are, I mean, it, it, it just, the layers are so deep. <laughs> I, I get angry, <laughs> rageful sometimes when I, when I think about it and talk about it, but it is that, um, yeah, freedom and choice. Yeah. I get full body chills just hearing you talk about the generations and generations. It's really true. Yeah. So I think what we're you know, discussing here is, is not necessarily so much, you know, that we all need to have so much more money in the bank. It's more an energy of choice, like you said. And yeah, just, just being able to nourish the life that we truly want. It doesn't mean fancy vacations. It might mean, you know what? I always want to have 50 bucks to buy seeds because I just love my community garden so much and it brings so much joy and quality of life to my day to day that I want to make sure that I can always get my starts and my seeds yes. like that, you know, that doesn't take generational wealth or you know, like a corporate job. It's, it's what, what truly brings us that joy and fulfillment, right? Yes. And that's, that too is that powerful reclamation 
of our power. I, this is how I want to live my life. I want to be able to act on that, which gives me so much joy and pleasure, you know, and not be in the deprivation of, I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, but really in the position of, this is important to me. I'm staking my claim here. <laughs> this is this is what I stand behind. And I stand behind it so much that my money is behind it too. Yeah, it just makes me think, you know, if they were just, yeah, massive groups of people really using their money consciously and really reclaiming what a wealthy life looks like to include the ecosystem, to include our relationships, the earth, joy, music, art, you know, it's like there's so much possibility there. And to allow money to be a part of that. I think that's really the, really the focus of my work is like, it can be so easy to want to reject it because of everything that's wrong with it. And I want to be the voice in the room saying, and we already have this channel established. It can be used differently. That's up to each of us in our consciousness, in our intention, in our compassion to actually infuse it and use it differently. And that becomes very powerful. So it's a tool rather than this inherently evil substance. Yes. It's, it's an actual, it, it's, it's up to us to, to make the meaning and direct it in a healthy way. And work on the systems that need to be <laughs> radically changed. Um, but we're not excluded from that change. And I think that's where the empowerment comes from, is, not, is remembering that we're not powerless, that we actually get to make choices every day, that we can hold that consciousness, hold ourselves within it, you know, making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and be intentional with our choices. I mean, my biggest wish for people is to... Just see a gentle invitation into your money. And maybe there's something that we've talked about already that will be inspiring that. Um, but it's like just giving yourself a gentle pathway into that, into the realm of money, especially if it's felt like something you have avoided or feared or been angry about or rejected just to just to explore, just see where there might be another pathway, another pathway in. Just be curious, at the very least be curious about what that pathway could be. And so often, especially early, even if obviously people who come to work with me want to do the work, <laughs> otherwise they wouldn't be <laughs> coming to me, but that doesn't mean that it's not really uncomfortable and they're not really squirmy and like they don't want to look and they don't want to look. And so often, you know, it's like there's so much fear, anticipatory fear, but seeing things clearly is the most liberating thing you can do for yourself. So even if it's excruciating, I mean, support yourself through it, really, truly support yourself through that. And if you need someone else, you know, even if it's just a friend to help hold you in it, they don't even have to know what you're doing, but just to help hold you in that, um, in the discomfort that on the other side of that is the, is the liberation of 
being in this relationship. And I guess that's like so often we're not in relationship with money or we're in a really challenged relationship with money. But if we can just explore what it looks like to be in a different relationship with money, a more neutral relationship with money or a friendly relationship with money, that opens the door to a lot of possibility. And I just think, yeah, if I have a wish for anyone, that's, <laughs> that's my wish. And, and just seeing with people that I work with how much um, relief comes. Do you see that when people's relationship with money shifts, that other parts of their lives shift as well? Oh, yes. So often. <laughs> yes. Yes. Again, because money touches every part of our lives, when we start looking at what it is that we require in our lives, what we desire in our lives, and we start aligning our choices with that rather than just, oh God, I spent more money last month than I wanted to or whatever. When we start operating in that proactive, intentional way, we are creating a very intentional and fulfilling life. So there is naturally more opens. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't ever imagine that I could make this trip happen. I mean, I'm just thinking of a client who always thought that she, you know, like she could not afford anything. She could never afford to travel. And then she was able to make a trip to visit her extended family, her aunts and uncles and cousins in Sweden with her daughter, you know, this very big, important trip for her. And the elation that she had, you know, from that trip, because it was so deeply intentional. It was like, this is, my heart is calling me to this, to my family, and I want to go. And I, I've felt limited by my resources in the past. I didn't think I had enough. When we looked, there was enough and she was able to go. And so it's like, those are some small ways. I've had dozens of single women buy their own homes at this point. And it is so incredible. Breaking generational patterns, breaking incredible generational patterns around the women in their lineage, around um, home ownership, big dreams being realized. So yeah, it's like, again, money becomes this very potent co-creative force that we can have in our lives. And so yes, and then a lot of the other shifts, <laughs> relationship shifts, lifestyle shifts, um, jobs that are more fulfilling. Yeah, it just starts to, there's a domino like with any healing that we'll do, it's, there's that inroad and then everything else sort of has a domino effect from there. That's incredible. And it really sounds like trust is a big factor where people can learn to start trusting themselves in the way that they interact and choose to spend or not spend. And then maybe even a, a trust in the larger, you know, in life itself that, that it will provide and that things will be okay. And you can make these choices in a, with a trusting heart. <laughs> exactly. And yes, self-trust is such a big piece of it, you know, trusting yourself with more, especially, especially in this time when we see so many examples of people misusing their wealth 
And part of the, often, part of the rejection of wealth for our own lives, in our own lives, is is the fear that we will become that. Um, So it's also a daily practice to trust yourself making decisions today that you would make no matter how much you're making. And that just goes back to that that internal relationship of our true values, our true joy and fulfillment, and not just what the culture is telling us we should want to have. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So for our listeners, how can they best connect with you and your work? Well, the best place to learn to learn more is to go to my website, which is tendedwealth.com. I'm really only on Instagram and currently not all that much, <laughs> but I am mostly on Instagram, um, which is at tendedwealth. And then I also have a substack, which is parallel tangential (laughs) to my work it's really more of my own creative curiosity just exploring these themes in a in a slightly different medium and that I think you can find it with my name Megan DeBoer the substack is called at an offering is the name great and you have a course called thrive right that will be opening again in the fall is that um, actually, Thrive is ongoing. Anyone can start at any time. So that one, that is a beautiful introductory course for personal finance. Wonderful. So no matter where you live, it's online, it's yeah. available. So yes. check out Thrive. And then I do have a live course for people who are self-employed um, that is starting this fall. But yeah, okay. and that's called Expand. But people uh, can okay. learn more if they go to my website. So check out Expand if you're... A business owner. Well, thank you so much, Megan. This was so much food for thought. So incredible to think about these topics. I know I'm going to bring it into my life for sure. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Mm, Thank you so much. This has just been a pleasure and so lovely to have this extended conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. You can use the code MOONWISE23 for 15% off Megan's Thrive course, good through the rest of 2023. You can find a link on our show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review MoonWise on Apple Podcasts as it makes a huge difference in helping others find us. I would love to read your review on the next episode of MoonWise. You can also sign up for our weekly magazine dedicated to inspiration and seasonal wisdom at moonwise.co slash magazine. See you next time.